we're in week two of a six-week series in Jonah, and today we're going to pick up from verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 7 through 16. Before we do that, I just want to uh, echo a, a few of the sentiments that Deacon Jason shared with you. Men, if you have not registered for the Ash Advance that's coming up later this month, I want to encourage you to do it. We've got plenty of room for you. It's going to be a great time. We're going to do a time of teaching and a time of fellowship, uh, just a time to really focus on one another and grow. And any of the men who went to our Ash Advance in January which was silent, by the way, will attest to the great power that comes when men gather together. So, men, if you're thinking about it, I want to encourage you to push you over the edge. Don't worry. You get to talk at the summer advance. Amen? Amen. And then the other thing is baptism. Baptism is our celebration. Tyler, will you put that uh, baptism graphic up there one more time? Baptism is a time for us as a church to make a public declaration of faith. Yeah, let me, let's get this mic right today. Sorry. It's all over. It's a little loud. But I wanted to show you that to you because I just thought the fish logo was awesome. Uh, if you get baptized here, you will turn into a fish. Uh, I just thought it was awesome. No, baptism is a, is a wonderful way for us to make a public declaration of an inward change. And so if God's been working in you and you've said yes to Jesus and seen life transformation over the course of the last year, I want to encourage you to celebrate uh, that with us. A great time to invite your friends and family. We're going to have our big dunk station right out on the street here in front of everybody. We throw a big party around this. I mean, it is an awesome thing. And we'll give you a new shirt. This is going public. You're required to wear it for 30 days after your baptism. So people ask and you say, I am now saved and blood-bought by the name of Jesus. We'll go through the script together. Don't worry. It's going to be a wonderful time. And then last thing I want to share with you before we jump into the Word is we've got a family of believers who are visiting with us this week. Uh, we have a sister church in Indianapolis called Redeemer Bible Church, and they sent a missions team to come and help us this week. So would you all stand up and would you guys help me thank God for our friends at Redeemer Bible Church? We love you guys. We're so grateful for you. Um, stay standing. I want to pr pray for you. They've been a great blessing to this little baby church here in Denver, doing a lot of hard work. They also served alongside the Denver Dream Center this week and got a chance to see what it's like for a church like us to plant in a city like this. And it is my earnest desire that as you put your hand to the plow and that you let the Lord use you so that you might become his hands and feet, you would return not empty but full. So church, would you do me a favor and extend your hands to these, our brothers and sisters. Let's pray a special blessing over their life. Heavenly Father, we love you. And God, we thank you for men and women faithful in the gospel to hear the call, to go and to serve, to serve thanklessly and to serve graciously, to see your kingdom made known throughout the world. Now, God, as they leave this place, but never from your presence, I'm asking for traveling mercies. I'm asking for a renewed vigor for the faith and renewed resolution to serve you you in great power, and to know that no matter where we go, you are working in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thank you guys. One more time. Give them a hand. You may be seated. Love you, love you, love you. You may not know, but missions trip is, is hard work. Missions work is always hard. And we were trying, uh, Chief of Staff, Bree Naughton and I were trying to think of like, what would be the hardest thing for them to do when, when they were planning? And I think we did a really good job. I think we worked them to the bone. Um, you have your Bible? Say yeah. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to read verses 7 through 16. In your hearing, we're reading out of the ESV Bible. It is the only one that will get you to heaven. No. Um, Jonah. That's a, that's a... All right. Jonah chapter 1, verse 7. It says like this. And they said to one another, come. 
Let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made sea and dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they simply could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they, these are the sailors, called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The title of our message today, our time together, is Come Clean. It's time to come clean. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for this word. God, it's our earnest desire to pull from this text your eternal truth, that we might apply them to our life right here and now, and walk according to your precepts, walk according to your principles, and walk as your people. And do that today in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever, have you ever been caught in a lie? Have you ever been totally caught in a lie? I'm coming for you right off the bat. Have you ever had a lie that you've told that's grown a little bigger than you'd like it to be, and finally you're found out? Have you ever been there? And the, the evidence is insurmountable, and you are confronted by someone. Who, I see smiling faces all over the room, especially couples, just right here, you and me, just get with me, okay? <laughs> the evidence is insurmountable, and you finally are faced with no other choice but to tell the truth. Have you ever been there before? Isn't that horrible? Let me will you be honest. Isn't it just horrible? It is horrible to be confronted with your own deception, your own lies, and to be forced to hat in hand tell the truth. And yet, if you've ever, when confronted with your lie, told the truth, have you ever noticed? What a wonderful relief it is once you tell the truth. Isn't that interesting? Like you've been lying for years about the same thing to the same people, and everybody that meets you thinks you're something, and then finally you have to tell the truth, and you've been avoiding it and running from it and staying away from it, and then when it's all said and done, you're like, hey, I should have done that years ago. That is exactly what repentance is like. That's the same principle, the exact same emotional roller coaster that you go on of resistance, of fleeing, of worry and fear, of what may come, of people find me out, all the way to the moment where you have no other choice to be totally honest, and then this great wave of relief falls over you. That's what it really means to be a believer who lives in a spirit of repentance. 
And it's meant to be that way. God designs repentance that way so that when you and I finally go, fine, okay, here's the truth. We don't get stuck in shame after the truth comes out. But we stand in freedom that the truth comes out. And today our conversation as we walk through this journey of the story of the prophet Jonah narrating his biggest failure is we're going to look at what it really means to be somebody who finally confronts the truth of their own life, no matter how deceptive, dishonest, or even incongruous it's been. What it really looks like when we finally surrender after that honesty and what God does. This today is a message for those of us who, like Jonah and these sailors, are in a little bit of a storm of the soul. Maybe you're here today, and, 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 and on the outside, you look great. You're polished. You say all the right things. You have a good Bible like we talked about last week that gives us the impression you read it all day long. Maybe you're wearing just the right clothes, and you say the right things at all times. But on the inside, there's just this turmoil between who you present and who you know. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Maybe you walked in this room and you're just like Jonah, like there is a storm in your life. And the truth of the matter is, is that you just not have not figured out here today how to get through it, how to get out of it, how to make your soul calm down. And today we're going to talk about that. You might even just, as, if you're taking notes today, just as a little byline, you just write the words, the roadmap to peace. This is the roadmap to peace. Recap from last week, you remember Jonah is a prophet. He's well known and he loves Israel. And God's given him a mighty word to leave Israel, to go to preach the gospel, the good news of God's judgment, but also his redemptive power to the people in Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital seat of the nation of Assyria. The Assyrians are evil, violent people, and Jonah resists the call altogether. He has no desire to go there. He's probably afraid he's going to get killed, and he might, but he's also probably hesitant because they are the enemy. And I don't know if you've ever been asked to do something nice for somebody you don't like, but it's hard no matter how saved you are. And he, he runs from the Lord. The Bible says he not only runs from the word of the Lord, but also from his presence. And he gets on this boat at Joppa, modern-day Tel Aviv, to, to float across the Mediterranean Sea to Tarshish, which we believe to be placed on the Straits of Gibraltar, a place of great wealth. And he's with these sailors, these merchants. And the Bible tells us that the Lord sends a storm. And I don't want to miss the fact of the matter, which is we talked about last week, but I want to remind you there are no accidents, no coincidences. When the Lord is Lord and he's always Lord, everything's on purpose all the time. So the storm that they encountered didn't just happen. God sent the storm. And we pick up right here in this story in this moment where these sailors are panicked. Bible tells us they've begun to throw the cargo off. These are experienced sailors. They know how to deal with a storm, but this one, it's something different. They're at their wit's end, and the Bible says they finally realize, we got to get to the bottom of this. We got to find out who's the problem here. Why is this happening? It's time to get honest on this boat. Have you ever been around people, and they're like, everybody line up, family meeting, right? We're gathering together. Who keeps leaving the peanut butter spoon on the counter dirty? It's time to get honest in this family, right? It's always me. It's every time I'm like, who's doing this? And the boys are like, it's you. And I'm like, family meeting is adjourned. Thank you for joining today's family meeting. 
the soldiers, the sailors, they are nervous and panicked. And the Bible says they know it's time to get honest. It says to us here in this moment, they begin to interrogate one another. What they do, the Bible tells us, is they cast lots. Now, not much is known about the very nature of lots throughout the Old Testament, though it's mentioned many times. Some believe it was the casting of straws or the drawing of strings and whoever pulled out the longest string. Some believe that in this time, during Jonah's role in the office of the prophet, the most common lots that were cast were colored rocks. And they would, they would gather in a circle and toss down the rocks. And a certain color of rock, when it landed in front of somebody, that was the indicator or the identifier to say, uh, there's your problem. You could think about it like this. It's kind of like rolling dice today, right? And we would all roll, and whoever got the low number would be the one who's the problem. And, and what's interesting here is that the, these sailors who last week we noticed had talked about gods are still practicing, in their effort to find out truth, some form of divination, this, this, this casting of lots. It's, it's like fortune-telling. It's like, you know, it, it, it's, like, it's like a game of chance or a game of luck. And it's so beautiful to show this picture of men who are desperate to know the truth and doing whatever they can to figure out how to get there. Sometimes even unbelievers are harder working at finding God. And lots of us who know the Lord, know his truth, know where we can find it, we get real lazy because we know how easy it is to find. I meet searchers of all kinds throughout this city. And in my blessed opportunity to know unbelievers, some of those who are on the worst path are the most diligent of walking down the path. Would that we as believers could find the same sense of resolution to say, I am simply not willing to be content with what I found here today. I want more of God. And here's these sailors. It's not Jonah. It's the sailors. Like, we got to figure something out. And if you could use your sanctified imagination for just a moment and see Jonah in this situation. No one knows what's going on except, and they're like, everybody gather up. And they're all panicked and sweating and nervous. We're going to cast lots. Okay, let's do it. We got to figure it out. And Jonah, you know, he's just kind of like, okay. I mean, he knows it's him. You can do whatever you want. God's going to call me out. I'm doomed. There's no way getting out of this. And they probably cast a lot. Right? Let's say it's the rocks. That colored stone writes rolls right in front of Jonah. And their eyes grow big. <gasps> it's you, the traveler. And he's like, yeah, duh, man. I don't know. <sighs> the Bible says right in that moment, he's identified by God. God points him out. Now notice this. God uses this game of chance to still get his man. Oh, I love that. And don't go thinking that means that God's going to give you the lottery. That is not how this works. But he could. If you swore to give it all to Beacon, he so could. The truth of the matter is, is that even though this is a game of chance, a searching in the wrong direction, my God is still God. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to use that. Y'all want to do that? I'll use that too. It's Jonah. And immediately before his contemporaries, in the midst of this storm that he's caused, he is found 
out, and he has no other choice but to be honest about who he is. And so they begin to interrogate him. They start asking him a million questions. You ever get in trouble with somebody you love, and they never let you answer the question before they've asked another question? You're like, hold up, wait, where were you? Who are you with? What time are you coming home? I see couples looking at each other again. It's the same thing. Wait a minute, just give me a second to think of my next lie. Slow down. He inter- they interrogate him, and Jonah lets them ask all the questions. Hard questions, big questions. What's going on right now? Jonah stops, and he just can't fake it anymore. He's been identified, and they're asking, ready? All the right questions. Who do you belong to? Where are you from? What's your occupation? Amen. They're not asking, like, what's your favorite color? Where are you going? They're like, you're the problem, right? And he says, I'm, I'm Jonah. I'm a Hebrew. I'm one of the chosen people called in this land to bless the world. I belong to Yahweh, the God of angel armies. And I'm a prophet uniquely spoken of, chosen to speak on behalf of God. Is this thing working? It's driving me crazy. I feel like we're in a moment right now. I'm just ruining it. He says, I am Jonah. I'm a prophet. I've been sent by God and, and I'm running. Now, you, want, you don't want to miss this last part. He identifies himself, but skip down to the very end of the chapter in verse 10. And it says, they found out that he was running from the presence of the Lord. Last, sec- last words in verse 10, it says, because he had told them. He says, this is who I am. And this is how I'm sinning. What boldness to stand before unbelievers and say, oh, here's the deal. I belong to God. He bought me and paid for me. He died and rose again. And I am forever redeemed. And I am struggling right now in the midst of this pain. He's just totally honest in front of him. And I wonder right now for you and I, how many of us would be willing to be that kind of honest. I want to tell you that the first step in getting out of the middle of the storm that you're in, no matter what it is, the very first step of calming the storm, of ceasing the raging seas that happen in your soul, that happens when you live a life that doesn't match up with the life that you say, the first step is identifying who you are and what the problem is. And the problem with so many of us is that we're just unwilling to be honest with our self about who we are. We're stressed out. We're worried. We're always tense. and We don't know what's going on. And people are like, well, what do you think it is? And we're like, I don't know. But if you would just take a moment to say, it's because I'm blood bought. Jesus loves me. I'm saved and sanctified and transformed. And I'm living like the old me. That's the problem today. I seem to be the same person I was before I said yes to Jesus. And the reason I'm broken is because it's broken. My salvation isn't looking the way it's supposed to be. I said yes, and every day I say no. It's time to be honest with myself. And I wonder how many of you would just be willing to do that when this storm begins to take shape. Most of us do what he did in the last message. When the storm comes we get busy, we get quiet, 
beautiful part is the Lord's like, cool. <laughs> it's going to get way worse until I get your attention. And it's finally so worse that he has to tell the truth. Now, I want to I address something with you real quick because I think it's important that we do this. As a church, we're known for preaching a message of repentance. I was sharing that with, with the missions team this week about how, you know, even though we kind of look like a secret church and when we're in the middle of like a, you know, hip area of town and you might come here and be like, oh, man, it's going to be one of those like weird churches where they just do rock music the whole time and it's a self-help message. And then you walk in and I'm screaming. I know sometimes it can <laughs> but we preach repentance amen because it's the only way to receive salvation and as we're preaching this message of repentance I think it's important that you and I understand that that we have to identify who we are whose we are and we have to identify our sin the problem but don't miss this you are not the problem. And I have to hit this on the head because many times people come into this message and Deacon Scott prayed this morning and so many of us prayed before service today that we would find the opportunity to be repentant and find community and find peace and find freedom, but that we would not be stuck in shame and condemnation that comes in this moment. The enemy's design is for you to say, you are the issue. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Sin is the issue. I love you. I died for you. I've made you perfect and holy, and I'll never leave you nor forsake you. All we need to do is say death to the world, and that's what gives you life. So we say, this is who I am, and this is my problem, but I am not the problem. Amen. I don't want you to get stuck in a cycle of shame that says, I'm a failure, I'm lost, I'll never get out of this, I'm always like this. None of those things are true. Jesus said, behold, I make all things new. Amen. Now, old you, that's a problem. Amen. But new you is not the problem. First step, calming the storm, being honest. Amen. Second step, you ready? It's time to be honest, and then it's time to surrender. Verses 11 through 15, after they found out who he is, the sailors say, well, tell us what we should do. I mean, you, you're God's prophet. You know him. He's definitely real, and he's going to kill us. And he says, what should we do that the sea may quiet down for us? That the sea grew worse. In verse 12, he says to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. The second step in getting out of the storm that you're in right now that's caused by who you say you are and who you are is to surrender. And that's like a four-letter word in this day and age. Everybody loves, like, being honest? Sure. Brutally honest. Cool. And then throw your hands up and let the Lord do whatever he wants. And people are like, brutally honest? I'll be right there. Surrender is a very difficult thing to do. Amen? We're not taught to surrender. Not in this world and most of us, not in our faith. Even in the modern day church, don't we love to preach we're more than an overcomer? right? We have the victory. We've been saying this morning, we have freedom. And I want to tell you today, each one of those is true after surrender. You don't get to be an overcomer until you've surrendered to the one who gives you power to overcome. 
You don't get to have victory until you've said, you win, you take the lead. I'm on your team, Jesus. Amen. You don't get to be on the top until you start at the bottom. Jesus said, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. So the the first thing you got to do is be real honest. This is who I am and this is who I'm struggling with. We take it before the Lord and we say, have Have your way. But isn't it weird? Because most of us pray like this. This is who I am. This is how you've made things bad. This is how hard it is for me. And this is the way I want it to go. Have you ever prayed that prayer before? I prayed it this morning. Got super convicted. Moment of transparency. I took a month off. As a family, uh, we, we took a month off. I, I got my first sabbatical. We, planted, we began planting the church a little over three and a half years ago. And, and I had noticed that I just, you know, I was, I was kind of running down. And we'd taken some vacations, but I never took time away from work. And so we, we had a, a time of sabbatical. And, and coming back this week um, was really hard. Maybe the hardest week I've ever had in ministry. Um, and so I, I've been praying. I've been complaining heavily to the Lord. Do you know what I'm talking about? And I've just been telling him, like, you know, I took this rest, and yet I'm supposed to come back invigorated and fired up, and I don't feel it, and I'm frustrated, and I'm tired, and here's what, here's, here's what it needs to look like. Here's what I need. And I didn't hear anything. And I'm like, and also I'm going to need you to be a little louder because you're not listening to me. Last night as I was in that moment right before you fall asleep, you know, when like all of a sudden God wants to talk a lot. You're like, really? I felt like the Lord was like, I I don't need you to tell me what I'm supposed to do anymore. I'm doing everything and I'm doing it perfectly. But here's what you need to do. And I was convicted, reminded, like that surrender every day in every way Every day, in every way. See, conditional surrender is not surrender. You don't get to tell God, have your way here, I got this. And so Jonah tells these men, it's because of my sin and my relationship with God that we're in this. And there's no way out lest I surrender to the Lord. He tells them exactly what's necessary. He says, you got you to throw me overboard. And, and I, I think there's a beautiful little picture you might miss if you just take a cursory read through this. It's, um, it's easy to miss the perfect picture of who most of us are right at the precipice of our moments of surrender. Verse 13, it says, nevertheless, the men rode hard. Man, ain't that just like a few of us, right? Right. Remember, these are these are sailors, experienced, seasoned, salty men. Okay, they have been on many a journey. They know exactly what it's like to weather the worst of storms. They know that this is the worst of storms. And when Jonah tells them, "I have to surrender," what do they do? They're like, "Let's give it another shot." <laughs> 
one second ago, they're like, we're doomed. And then he's like, cool, I have to die. And they're like, we're probably not that doomed. Let's go for it. Because that's what it looks like sometimes right at, the pre- right at the edge of surrender. When you are finally found out, finally broken, and finally done, and you're like, have your way, what do you want to do? And he's like, I want you to quit all of this. I want you to leave all of them. I want you to stop this. I want you to delete that. I want you to get serious here. I want you to stop watching this. I want all of you. And you're like, I'm going to row right back into the storm. (laughs) Have you ever done that? (laughs) I will revisit this conversation when you've come to your senses. This is a little over the edge there, God. We begin to row back into the storm. These men know exactly what the truth of this storm is, there is no hope. And yet so many of us know exactly where our sin is leading us. There is no hope. And yet when confronted with the truth, so many of us are content to walk towards wages of sin, which is death. And I want to tell you right now what that is, is the fear of consequence. It's the fear that when God has his way, it's going to hurt or be uncomfortable make a fool of you. Let me just kill some preconceived notions. You ready? When God has his way with you, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to hurt. Ready? And he's going to make a fool of you. Amen. Because he gives grace to the humble. And he opposes the proud. And he's desperate to give you grace. Your pride has kept you rowing in the midst of your sin. And and he's going to break the boat. But he keeps calling you into the water. Come. Come home. Come clean. Come with me. And even if you keep rowing, he's there. God's desire is to get all of you so that he can give you all of him. Now, your fear of consequences of what it may feel like in the grand narrative of our relationship with God, they pale in comparison to separation from God for eternity. And those are your choices. You can choose to repent, be honest about your sin, surrender, and let him have your way, and it might get uncomfortable for a moment, but joy cometh in the morning. Or you can choose to keep rowing in your sin ever closer to doom. The wages of sin is death. There is no joke about this. God is not a man that he should lie. He is perfectly holy. You can't second guess or negotiate or buy your way into heaven. There is nothing you can do but accept. Jesus' sacrifice, and surrender completely. Otherwise, you spend eternity away from him. And every one of those stories of people who have had an afterlife encounter have said, I don't know what it was, but when I saw it, I just couldn't get away from it. Which tells us the inverse may be true, that absence from him 
is an unimaginable pain. Number one, we got to get honest about our sin. Number two, you got to surrender or the storm will continue. And number three, is that if, if there's a time to be honest and if there's a time to surrender, the good news for the believer is that immediately following, there's a time for peace. I want you to see this. It says, verse 15, they picked Jonah up and they hurled him into the sea. And verse 15, and the sea stopped. Immediately the storm stopped. And I, I mean, I don't know how you read your Bible, but like I read my Bible like a graphic novel. Like I just, it's all these pictures and Thor's there sometimes, even though I know he doesn't belong. And, and the angels are flying. And I just, I, in this moment, I can, I mean, in my, in my mind, I can see the boat and the waves. I can see the whites of the eyes of the terrified sailors. And I can see them hoisting Jonah up. Can you see this in your imagination? Remember, it's a big boat. It's a merchant ship. So it's got a big deck. And in order to get him over the edge, this isn't a one, two, three, heave, ho. I mean, they've got to get him at shoulder level. He's sprawled out on his back, his arms and legs in the air. And together in a concerted effort, they have to make a decision for this man to die. And they run him to the edge and they throw him off. All of the fear and the chaos, the howling of the wind and the crashing of the waves, everything that's been on the deck that was in the right place that's fallen and broken, and each one of these men who's barely able to hold his ground after having thrown it, the moment that he hits the water, the clouds part, and the water is still like glass, and you could hear a pin. God takes immediate action when just one sinner repents. The process that we're noticing here is that God is swift. He is immediate. He didn't delay the peace or the hope that would be found. Jonah repented. In fact, the very moment that one believer says, I submit, I surrender, have your way, God rushes in like a mighty flood and he calms the storm. He gives thirst to dry ground. He eases the hearts. He changes the circumstance immediately and right where you are. There is no delay. You don't find repentance on a scale or on a calendar. It happens right now. And I want you to see this for a moment because most of us, we hold back on our repentance. We hold back on coming clean with God. We hold back on being serious about this faith because we've been living in a stuck season, in a broken, in a spiritual storm for so long. The truth of the matter is most of us just don't even think it'll go away. I mean, I can say yes to Jesus and I can tell him about the things I've been dealing with, but I've never seen it change before. What makes me think it'll change right now? And this is the picture of what it looks like, which is in an instant, in the twinkling of an eye, God changes everything. 
And so here's my question, church. Like, what is your storm? Like right now, in your own heart, as I've been preaching, what is the thing that it just it keeps you up at night? It's got you worried. When you think about it, you, you get the shakes. You start to sweat. You worry. You're anxious. Maybe it's got you chasing after medication or looking for a new therapist or telling other people stories about it or trying whatever you can do to find it. What's your storm? What's your struggle? What's your sin? I want to tell you today, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, it could end today. Today could be the very last day that you ever suffered with. And I think that's important to note for many of us who have been living in a legacy of this. I'm an alcoholic, and my dad's been an alcoholic, and my grandfather was an alcoholic. We just, that's who we are. My, my, my father used to hit my mother, and every relationship I've been in is the same. They always hit me, just guess this is where I'm supposed to be. I have never been good with money. I, I don't even, I don't know how to save. I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I'm just leveraged to the hilt, but my parents were like, this is what I learned. I want to tell you today that I don't care what it is that you've been struggling with, what the sin is, what the affliction is, what the process is that has been working you down like fine ground flour until you feel like you have nothing left. I want to tell you that thing can die now. The only difference is, are you willing to be honest, and are you willing to surrender? Last movement, and then we're going to pray. There's this beautiful thing that happens at the end of this section of text. After the moment of peace that these sailors notice, there is a moment of power that these sailors experience. Now, you might be saying, hold up, wait a minute. You're doing a lot of talk about peace and good things, but isn't Jonah drowning? He is indeed drowning right now. But just like a good sitcom, you have to come next week to find out what happens. It's the cliffhanger. Jonah is in the water, and he is struggling under the water. And then the water goes still. And then where does Jonah go? Nowhere. He disappears. What? We'll talk about it. But there is a moment here that these sailors experience, and it's a moment of power. I want you to see this. Verse 16. Then these men... These pagan sailors, these unbelievers, these subscribers to the multiple God system of whatever region we're in, whatever circumstance we're in, that's the God to whom we'll pray. It says, these men feared the Lord exceedingly. Wait for it, ready? And they offered a sacrifice and they made vows. Hold up. These sailors, dirty sailors, just got saved just said yes to the God of angel armies, said yes to Yahweh, submitted to him and said, whatever kind of God there is that has that power to create that storm and causes that man to live in that obedience, to jump off to certain death and then calms the sea, that is the God. It says in that moment, they fall to their knees, they fear him, that word means worship, to revere. I can imagine in my mind that these old men who are used to singing sea shanties, start jumping around and being like, freedom! They were just going nuts because in a moment, in an instant, they'd encountered a God who had power unlike anything they'd ever encountered before. It says they feared him recklessly, abandonedly. They loved him. They went after him. Then it says they made a sacrifice to him. Their faith was not just experiential. It was tangible. It was real. You might ask yourself, what did they sacrifice? Didn't they throw everything off? Who knows? 
But whatever they had, they said, this is all we got, but it's yours. They made vows together. These are covenants. It means the promise that they made between men to a God, which meant that they would hold each other accountable. It was in this moment that these men didn't just feel God. They proclaimed God, confessed God, covenanted with God, and said, we're with you forever. Here's the reason this is important for you to understand. is that it is Jonah's honesty. Jonah's surrender and the peace of God that comes from it that convicts these men to salvation. And you might be here today, and as we've been talking about your storm, maybe the enemy has lied to you and told you, you know, you're the only one that deals with this, right? I mean, everybody in this room's got like acute sin, <laughs> but you're a mess. So you better not talk about this thing. In fact, you better just stay quiet about this thing. And I want to tell you right now, guess what? There's somebody in your row dealing with the same thing. There is no affliction that has beset man that is uncommon. God knows every one of them, and every one of us has an opportunity to overcome them. The Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Here's the proof of the matter is that what you deal with is universal amongst the people of you're with today, and each one of us needs your help to get out of it. We say it in church with the little cliche phrases, your mess could be a message. Your test could be a testimony. And they're fun to say, but they're profound to live. 